and welcome to the Public School Matters podcast presented by the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. I'm Katherine Joyce, NCASA's Executive Director, and joining me as she does for each episode is Legal Affairs and Policy Manager Elizabeth Yelverton. Together, we talk about the legislative and policy news affecting our public schools in North Carolina. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. It's been quite a while since our last podcast uh, that we had back in May, whenever we were going over the competing House and Senate budget proposals, and you might remember that was our Battle of the Budgets episode. That's right, Elizabeth. It's hard to believe it's been a few months since our last podcast episode, but we're we're really excited to be back now in October and even more excited to be to have a special guest joining us today. Indeed, Catherine. And if you've read the title of this podcast episode, then you'll know that there are no tricks here, only treats, because it's always a treat to be joined by State Representative Jeffrey Elmore of Wilkes County. He's a North Carolina teaching fellow, an alumnus of Appalachian State University, and he's in his 23rd year as a teacher in Wilkes County Schools. He's also serving his sixth two-year term in the North Carolina House of Representatives, and there he is one of the House's Appropriations Chairs, where he leads the development of salary and benefit proposals for public employees, including our school personnel, as well as serving as the point person for education funding and policy provisions. And there's something new to add to his resume. He's now a candidate seeking to become our next lieutenant governor. We're so glad you could take some time out of your very busy schedule, Representative Elmore, to join us today. And how are you doing? Uh, doing well. Uh, staying very busy, Catherine. Uh, uh, we've been traveling all over the state uh, talking about uh, the budget, talking about uh, the vision for the next few years for North Carolina. So I've uh, been very busy. It's been very odd, though. Uh, you were talking about my 23rd year. This is the first school year that I haven't started in 23 years, because right now I'm on an unpaid leave uh, between what we're doing in the legislature and the campaign. So uh, very busy, but it was odd on the teacher work days, driving by the parking lots and seeing all the cars. And I would look down and, and sometimes think, oh, gosh, I need to be at work. <laughs> so uh, busy, but good busy. I bet it is a little different going going by and seeing all those cars on the teacher work days. And and you did mention that you're on a leave of absence currently. Okay. So, but before that, I was wondering if you could let our um, listeners know a little bit about what you were teaching and who you were teaching, just so they can get a little to know you a little bit better. Sure. Uh, I, I'm an art teacher, a visual art. Um, as you said, I've taught for 23 years. I've actually taught all grade levels. I used to say that uh, I spent most of my time at the middle school level, but as my years add up, uh, actually, I've spent the most time at the elementary level. So I'm working with little ones, uh, do K-5 in our programming in Wilkes, uh, um, at Mulberry Elementary, uh, four days, and then two days at Mount Pleasant Elementary, one of our smallest schools in the system. Well, we we know arts are uh, one of your passions and, and something that has, has really been a big focus area for um, enhancing in your time in the legislature. 
So we were noticing that there is a, a budget provision this year that sets a new arts proficiency high school diploma endorsement in the budget. Could you talk a little bit about that provision and, and what you were hoping to achieve with that? Sure. Uh, there's a general provision in there dealing with high school graduation endorsements, uh, basically certificates that the kids can get on their diploma that shows that they've specialized in a specific area. We started out dealing with the arts proficiency, and we modeled it after a program out of Arizona. And uh, to be able to get the endorsement, you have to go above and beyond, basically taking all of the arts courses that are possible wherever you are enrolled in school and then doing outside activities related to the arts also. And the hope with the endorsement is if we have a student that is interested in dance, painting, whatever arts program it is, that that will give them the experience to be able to build the portfolios necessary to expand that uh, at the next level. I guess the Senate thought it was such a good idea. They talked about uh, creating even more endorsements. So we make sure that our kids are developing some sort of skill set in that exploratory stage at the high school level as they move forward. Because uh, one of the biggest needs that we've got is a skilled workforce. Uh, we need folks with specific skills. Well, I know a lot of our students that are especially passionate about arts education will be really excited that they can, um, you know, show off all the effort that they've been putting into arts education um, in our public schools. And I may have mentioned it to you before, Representative Elmore, but um, I am a, a longtime advocate for arts education. Way back in the day, I did my high school a senior project on the importance of arts education and actually got to shadow my elementary school art teacher and um, do a little lesson with her. So wanted to thank you for the, all the advocacy that you do, especially in the area of arts education. Well, we can't lose focus on the whole child and where uh, children find success. And the arts for many students, that is their outlet. That is the way that they can express themselves and, and also find those successes that they need. Uh, there is an importance of math and reading, no question, especially in the foundational years working with younger children. But at the same time, we need to work on the development of the whole child where they can find the successes and become well-rounded as they move forward and get older. Very true. I think it's it's a great foundation for, for those students in particular. Since this is tied to um, an endorsement on the high school diploma, that, that leads me to think of another provision in the budget dealing with high school graduation and in particular early graduation. Uh, so what it allows, it, or actually what it does, it caps at... Um, 22 credits, the number of requirements that, that students can be required to take to, to get their diplomas and graduate from high school. And we know represent a lot of, a lot of districts now require more than those 22, um, which are mandated by the state. They require more than 22 in their districts. Uh, we here at NCASA have been looking at uh, trying to get a budget technical correction to adjust that limit so that districts can continue to offer what they deem is important for their 
for local students. So we're wondering, what are your thoughts on this program and what have you been hearing about it since the budget was enacted on October 3rd um, as school leaders and others are finding out about this new new program that's been put in place? Sure. I've, I've gotten some feedback from uh, some superintendents, uh, also gotten feedback from the department and the way that they're interpreting it. This is a new program. And from a functionality perspective, you know, basically a kid right now can go out a semester early relatively easy. Uh, That is not difficult at this point with how everything is structured. Well, what this would do is add additional semester to where they can go out in their junior year. Some of the concerns was that let's say high school is difficult for a person or let's say that they may want to go into the military. Uh, There may be personal reasons why they want to graduate early. They know that the family is moving. They don't want to switch schools their last year. There's all sorts of specific circumstances for kids. And basically the goal of the provision was to say that there should be a, um, I don't want to call it a fast track, but there should be an early graduation option for the student uh, if if they choose. And that needs to be offered by the system. Uh, It's brand new. We haven't implemented this before. I know structurally, I talked with one of the superintendents. They have worked with students in the past that are especially dropout risk and have done individual plans, basically, that are similar to this. Hey, can we get you through to where you don't drop out and you do have a diploma so you can move forward? I'm hoping as the program starts, We can see the level of participation. Uh, I think some of the systems are scared that there's going to be a massive number of students that will take advantage of this. I I just don't believe that because there is just folks have different individual circumstances. I, I don't think it will be a high number of students. Also, too, I think this gives a lot of potential for the senior year of high school to especially be more exploratory. Um, meaning they can get their CTE credits in, they can get their arts credits in, they can uh, have the opportunity to explore in these career fields before they take their next step, which may be directly into the workforce where I hope that they get an endorsement at the high school level, or maybe they're moving to the community college to get a workforce certificate or transfer, uh, whatever path they're on, because we have so many paths ahead of us. So um, we will see how the program implements and how what the level of participation is and move from there. I, I think when it was uh, seen, a lot, a lot of the interpretation of it was, oh, my gosh, now they've reduced high school to three years. And that's going to be true for everyone. Uh, that was never the vision of the provision. We're, we're trying to accommodate kids that are in I guess you would say more specific circumstances. So we'll just have to kind of see how it goes down the road and track the numbers with it. Representative, to tell you uh, just just our thinking on uh, the technical correction we're seeking, like like you just mentioned, just so that not not every student suddenly decides I want to leave after 22 credits. We we would like to see what the State Board of Education has proposed as a waiver process 
where students who want to graduate early come in, talk to their counselors, talk to the high school principal, maybe talk to the superintendent with a parent involved and make sure that the student knows if they disconnect from high school, you know, can they play, they can't play sports anymore for a senior year. And, um, they, they lose connection to their counselor who may may have helped provide some support and, and planning for what they're going to do post high school. It's almost a college format at this point where you have your basic courses in the beginning and then you spur off into different programs in your junior and senior year. Uh, I, I think this model will work with that. I do have some concerns with some of the local initiatives that have been added. Uh, some of them are quality, uh, some of them are not. Uh, and uh, I have a little bit of concern with that because a- a- as kids are becoming more specialized, trying to get into the paths that they feel comfortable, some of these ancillary requirements that kind of take a shotgun approach that this is good for all kids, uh, th- they may not be. Um, we-, we found that a little bit. Elizabeth was talking about the graduation requirement uh, that-, that she went. At one time, that was an effective tool. But now that the workforce demands are different, it- it- it's not as effective as it once was maybe 10 years ago. It's very difficult when you have that as a graduation requirement to roll it back uh, because just the way that once you start it, the kids get in the rotation of it. So We'll just have to see how the program works and, and react to it as anything else. It's a lot of things in education. We build the plane as it flies. Yep. Well, uh, as you can tell, this is a, a very specific issue, and there are definitely some some benefits to keeping our students in school, but also offering that flexibility for those students who would like to graduate early. So with your experience as a teaching fellow, I was just wondering um, if you could share your thoughts on this expansion and if perhaps you would like to see the program expanded even further. Sure. Um, This was an exciting provision. Uh, This provision actually was one that got, uh, and you guys will understand this because you're in the work in the circle down here. It was kicked up all the way to the corner offices, uh, which was Speaker Moore and uh, Senator Berger. And I actually got the privilege to come in and explain the uh, teaching fellows provision and what the House vision was. Uh, The House has always taken a stance that we would uh, like to expand it to even more institutions, expand the eligibility to all subject matters. But I think this provision is a good piece to highlight how you can compromise on things. Uh, Talking with Senator Berger, he wanted to make sure that our expanded to our quality. And I totally understand that. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that we're using the program to target where there's uh, difficult areas to fill. And uh, the reality of it is now it's hard to find an elementary school teacher. Uh, When I first started my career, that was unheard of. Uh, You could always find an elementary teacher. Now that's not true. And he said, if we're going to expand to this, I want to make sure that the program's that are training the teachers, especially the elementary ed, if we're going into that realm, have fully implemented the science of reading curriculum uh, in their teacher prep. So we tied the two together, which I I think was a good move. Also, not only did we expand the eligibility, we increased the scholarship amount in the provision. 
and also shortened the payback time. I call it the indentured servant time because I lived through it. You know, I had four years of indentured servitude. But um, anyway, the um, we, we put it back to the more traditional model, and that aligns it with a federal scholarship that is very similar. So uh, we're getting a little bit more competitive with the money because um, we've controlled costs on tuition to our universities, but, uh, you know, it's still costly to go to school. So we wanted to make sure this scholarship was worth applying for, that there's enough money there that it is attractive. And then the payback time and service time is more in a line with other scholarships. So it, it was a good expansion of the program. And I hope in the future that we continue to expand the program. I do not think it's the silver bullet that is going to solve all of our recruitment issues. But at the same time, I know, at least through my experience, which has been a long time ago now, <laughs> but you get quality folks that come out. So they're very attractive employees for school systems to, to gobble up right out of school to come and teach. So I was excited about this provision, and I think this was an excellent compromise type provision. And I'm glad the issue was just not totally kicked out like it's been in the past. Absolutely. And thank you for your advocacy in leading the expansion of this program, Representative. It, it is helpful um, to our public schools and that it is helping to develop our teacher pipeline. And um, in, in early elementary education, it is hard to find those teachers in, in various parts of the state. So, so this, this new focus area will be helpful and, and we're excited to see it as we know uh, many of our school leaders are as well. So I know we are quickly approaching the end of our time together this morning and just wondered if you would like to just sort of look back through the budget or think back through it and mention to our listeners some of what you see as the things you're most excited about or, or most proud of that are in the state budget and maybe even some of the things that you aren't as excited about, but ultimately there was enough support to have those anyway. We pump more money into the needs-based capital, increase the amount of money that can be applied for in that pot uh, from the local level because of inflationary pressures. Yeah, you know, the county commissioners for years said we were told that we would get 40% to deal with school construction. Between the different pots that deal with school construction out of the lottery, it's about 48% now. Uh, almost a hundred billion commitment. I think that is uh, really good for our school facilities on the local level. Now, I had a different twist in the house budget, and th this is something I wish that we could have made it, but it didn't. Uh, I wanted to look at fourth grade class size and trying to control uh, because I know the pressure on the lower grade class size is hard in scheduling, but it has produced results in my opinion. I, I think it correlates with our gains that we've been making. Uh, I wish I could have seen that. And we tied it with some TAs uh, that was coming out of lottery funds to where we could have uh, some TA help in these larger classes that are in fourth and fifth grade. And I, I was pleased with the pay raises because we were trying to react to inflationary pressures, but a little disappointed because the house position, you know, did it more across the board. But I do understand where the Senate is coming from on beginning teacher pay, because especially for our urban systems, we have to get them in the door and they have a younger workforce and trying to recruit that employee 
or more rural systems, uh, many times what they're facing is trying to retain the older employee, trying to keep them from retiring uh, because it's so difficult to get someone in. Uh, on the pay, the um, rural teacher supplement, I guess you would call it, uh, we did increase that by 30 million. And that's where we're aiding the smaller systems, poor systems, with the influx of money that they can incorporate into their local supplement that they already pay. Uh, th that really turned into some real money for our teachers in these smaller systems and made them more competitive against the Wake County or the Mecklenburg County. Um, and this was uh, very important, um, especially for your border counties around these urbans. Uh, like a, a Franklin County with Wake. So uh, th those are some things that I was really pleased with. Uh, and then some other stuff that I wish was handled a little bit better if I was had the magic wand, but uh, I, I don't. I'm one of 170. Well, I was just going to go back and say, if, if he did have a magic wand, what would, what would be the one thing in public education that you would like to change, Representative, look into the future? Well, and, and Catherine, I think you would understand this. We have worked real hard to break down the silos of the different areas of education from K-12 to our community colleges to our universities. As we continue to move forward, the interaction of all of those is meshing more and more every day. And I, and this may not even be in my lifetime, but I hope down the road that we can see these silos break down and that we are truly looking at what are we offering for a kid in the state of North Carolina? May it be public, private pathways that are from K all the way up through a doctorate level. What are our graduate programs, et cetera? And how does that mesh together? Um, I would love to see that interaction more. And I, I think that the uh, probably the only way it's ever going to get done is, is true structural change in how these things are set up, forcing the uh, collaboration in the pathways, because we want the kid to um, develop a skill, be able to get into the workforce, have a skill to where they're marketable. And there's so many paths that they can take, but uh, it's difficult for them to navigate those waters right now. And the more that we can streamline that, I think it would be better the best thing we could do for kids. There probably are a lot of folks out there, including many of our school administrators um, who are NCSA members who would agree with that. And so thank you for uh, thinking about those positive steps forward that we can take in public education and, and with the focus being on what's best for students. Right. Um, thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to speak with us today. We know our superintendents, principals, and all those other school leaders uh, really appreciate all you do on behalf of our public schools. And we certainly wish you the very best as, as you head back to the campaign trail for the next few months. Well, I, I appreciate uh, folks on the ground. Uh, principals have a tough job. Uh, administrators have a tough job. Um, many times they're working on stuff that uh, people have no clue that they have to do <laughs> uh, in our schools. So, so it's a very tough job, and I um, appreciate being able to share today. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. It's been great to have you. Um, 
Well, folks, we'll try to be back with our next podcast episode sooner rather than later. So make sure you stay tuned for more updates um, on education in North Carolina. And if you're an NCASA member, please make sure that you're receiving our weekly e-newsletter called Leadership Link. And you can also follow us uh, at NCASA Tweets on Twitter. Email us at info at ncasa.net or check out our website, www.ncasa.net. You've been listening to Public School Matters with the North Carolina Association of School Administrators. To stay up to date on legislation and policy news affecting K-12 education, we hope you will subscribe to this podcast and join us for future episodes. Thank you for helping us ensure that each public school matters.